festive New Year greetings coming to you from the side of Rice Lake. And it was just a few meters away from here, from where I sit now on a rock on the edge, watching the people wander around my dear beloved lake, because, you know, it's the holidays and they all come out of the woodwork. It was right by here that uh, just a week or two ago, well, less than that. Uh, I my my mm, post solstice uh, festive festivities really began. You see, like uh, like a lot of you, you know, I'm just a a dude who has to put on his big boy pants every day and get on the bus and go off to a day job. And I was coming home and it was dark. I was getting dark. I wasn't really getting to enjoy this mm, wintry feeling as I got home and. A little early from work, and it was just about dark, but I grabbed my headlamp, and I went out for a stomp around the, the lake. And I got out, and there was a sign that said, uh, Danger, thin ice. Oh, yeah, I said. And I looked out, and sure enough, the the lake was frozen. And, you know, if you live in eastern Canada, and uh, this is no big deal, right, but kind of, kind of part of the quintessential Canadian experience is this idea of frozen water and the recreation uh, and grandeur associated with that wintry tranquility. And I, I could see on the lake that some folks had cleared out space and they had been clearly playing a little ice hockey. There was ski tracks and, and skate tracks. I thought, wow, you know, last year during the big winter storm, I was able to ski around Rice Lake on my cross-country skis. And that was one of my favorite things that I got to do. But this year, wow, it was frozen, but it was dead dark out. Well, it wasn't completely dark out, but, you know, it was like still and empty. So I walked down to the fishing dock and I took my bowl. Actually, this bowl right here. And I looked way out, and I saw something, something moving on the lake. So I started to wander around the lake. And while I was doing that, you know, I, I, I've reflected a lot about this this year. And, you know, a lot of you folks have been listening along for a while. And, and you know, I've uh, started off the year with a little feeling of trepidation and frustration and underwhelmedness about my own self and my accomplishments. And, uh, you know, I think I really let, I let it slow me down this year. And this was a little bit of a tough year, but, you know suck it up, right? And, uh, you know, it got to the point I was getting so curmudgeonly and grumpy that some of of the fellows were starting to call me Grandpa Weed. And, well, I'm not quite there yet, but getting pretty close, it seems like. So anyway, I started thinking about, you know, again, I had this feeling that, well, you know, I did a few neat little projects, but really I could have done so much more because, you know, there's a little spark and, oh, look at that. Look at those mallards going by. Oh, Oh, it looks like a postcard. Okay, if they come over here, I'll try and get a snapshot for you. Little green head on the one, and the ah. Uh, hmm. Anyway, I started thinking about what I managed to pull off this year, because you know, I you know, I don't want to sound like uh, like I'm not grateful for what I I did. So I started thinking about it as I was walking around the lake, and the things that immediately popped in my head is 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 uh, th- time spent with friends, doing fun time adventures in one category, and things that I dug deep inside myself to really pull through and produce and put out there to the people with stuff in the other category. So I'm going to hit you with a few of these I jotted down here on the back of a piece of paper here so I wouldn't forget. And uh, so, the, so, so the first one that really sticks out, you guys know I love the old Grateful Dead, right? And after Jerry died, my life really changed a lot. You know, as in fact, Jerry Garcia died in 1995. Here, let me have a smoke for that. I was at a candlelight vigil on the island of Guam. Oh, 
and we had enough little weed to roll up a little doobie and pass around and share in our remembrances of uh, Jerry. And I didn't didn't have any of the details, right? But then these guys were there, and they had all the details. I'm like, wow, how do you guys know all this? And they're like, we work for the newspaper. We have the internet. And I'm like, the internet? What is this crazy thing you're talking about? Two days later, I was on dead.net at uh, Quintos.net, the little internet service provider there on this uh, Micronesian island. And just as I was starting to get some information, power on island went down thanks to a brown tree snake. But that's a whole story for another time. The point of this story was, since then, I'd seen different incarnations of, of the post-dead. You know, I'd seen Phil and friends, and I've seen the other ones, and seen the dead in some incarnations. But this year, it all sort of came together for me. It was a great trip to the gorge with my favorite people, and loaded up and did the road trip. And it was on a Canadian long weekend, so we took our time getting back. But then the show and the music, the only thing I could say bad about it is it was only one day. You know, the dead used to play two, three days, but I can't be picky, right? It was at the, it was at the gorge, which is a, for a big concert venue, is just stunning. But the thing that was so nice was road tripping with my... Uh, with my uh, compadres, but also seeing uh, old pals from days past, Willis, and he's got a grown-up kid now that's bigger than him, and and Brad, the bus driver, and Larry, the uh, old silver-haired Larry from the community college in Utah, the one who really said, man, you know, you really should do uh, this writing stuff. Let's you should write more and catching up with him and getting to turn him on to his first show, and there we are, it's grinning on uh, shrooms and wearing our tie dyes, and as uh, the sun went down on that canyon, and the dead just ripped it up there, man. So that was a little something special. On the way home, we stopped in Leavenworth, a little sort of. Uh, uh, Alps-themed town, Bavarian-themed town, and had some uh, tasty beers there, uh, and some Bockwurst. Made for, oh, and then we went and found a river to jump into. It's just one of those perfect weekends in early summer. Okay, next one on my list is South by Southwest. And I'm not going to go into this too much because I did a big recap episode, all well, a preview, and in, well, anyway, a thing. And uh, But just having that perfect day of showing up there, getting my nerves together, going in there with my old-timey suitcase. And, you know, I talked, long story short, I, I had an hour to talk to an audience. And South by Southwest is this epic music, film, and interactive media conference. And I went down with a presentation called Fuck Stats, Make Art. And a world full of PowerPoint slides and technical jargon. I went old school with some papery collage slides and Henry David Thoreau and Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Edward Abbey and packed all my heroes in the suitcase and brought them out and busted them out for the people while wearing an old silk smoking jacket. And then if that wasn't enough, meeting up with a dear friend afterwards, having the best macaroni and cheese with green chili oh, uh, don't get me started and then uh, getting a pedicab driver who had killer hash brownies and then going off to see the black angels who are just one of my favorite rock and roll bands and then meeting the black angels backstage and having a doobie and a and a shots of whiskey from the bottle and the texas sky after having my head melted oh that was just about a perfect day uh you know, the next thing uh, on the list is Rainzine. I've been, you know, I do a lot of this sort of literary writing, and it doesn't get published as widely as some of the weed-related writing that I do, or travel-related kind of stuff, but or weed travel. Uh, but it's, it's really what's dearest to my heart. And uh, this year, uh, Rainzine picked up a couple things, including a whole little special dossier all about my Letters from Russia project. If you don't know about this, uh, you know, go look around my stuff. You'll find it. Uh, but And then they did a big interview, and in their issue that comes out in just mere days, I put together an artist timeline, but I sort of went with a board game motif. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's all my projects uh, spewed out uh, as though it was this... Um, 
a surreal board game or combination of many games layered and stacked on top so the boards that aren't even recognizable. But all the little spaces you might land on are little incidents and occurrences from my life. I hope you'll like it. Maybe you can play it along. You can make up rules, something like, ah, roll a dice if you want. Wherever you land on, discuss and have your choice of a hoot or a swill. Something like that. Speaking of swills, holy smokes, my bro Dan Funboy the other day brought a, uh, ordered up a, a, a keg of the R&B Brewing Dark Star Stout for the New Year's Eve party over at the Quebecois Correspondence House. KK was there fresh back from Copenhagen, but between us, man, we just put some damage on this keg. We went to just shy of 5 a.m., finished off the last drop and I had a two-day hangover to show for it but that's why it is January 2nd and I'm bringing you New, Year, New Year's greetings. Uh, next thing on the list is I was quoted widely in newspaper, TV and the old media and uh, traditional media, whatever you want to call it. This is talking about Olympics, technology, hockey, uh, literature on places like CBC, CTV, the local French language newspaper did an article about my uh, something or other and uh, so all these kind of like diverse places, but I've always wanted to put myself out there as someone who shares his opinions. So hmm, people are starting to clue in on that and invite me to share it on a, on a fairly public stage. The nice thing about that is, right, like I can speak one way to you, you folks who know what I'm about and know how I'm rolling. But it's a whole other trip to go in there and talk to, um, sort of break open these people's preconceptions a little bit. Because everyone knows that I'm Uncle Weed, right? And if I can show up and represent and do 110%, keep my stick on the ice and all that... Then uh, people are going to look at that and go, you know what? Maybe there's other people besides blowhards and burnouts that uh, are advocates for normalization of cannabis policy. Uh, ooh, next one. Um, you probably caught this, and maybe some of you didn't totally dig it, but uh, this was a project that was near and dear to me. Uh, that's the Rainforest Dispatches I just finished up. And this was three and a half years in the making, uh, in a lot, uh, even longer than that in a lot of ways. There's a few companion pieces that will still come out, with it, I'm collecting uh, people's other audio comments and snippets and stuff. I've assembled a big blog post with all sorts of little collections of ephemera from those days. And I got a couple paintings in works. Um, and just the other day, I went to the Vancouver Art Gallery to see this exhibited group of seven. Uh, ooh, note to self, tell you about Frederick Varley Project. Um, but there were some giant panels there, and uh, they're taking photographs from the blockade lines there in 1993 and remixed them with these just kind of sparse paintings of wood grain and paneling almost. So, so it was an interesting juxtaposition, but wow, it was amazing to see these faces out there almost life-size and just brought it all back home. Because while I've been making that project, I found surprisingly little amount of documentation that just really made it online in a shareable manner. But I really do hope you enjoy that. And it might take you a listener or two to kind of really grasp the whole thing that I'm trying to get at, but uh, there's some tasty tunes in there to make it a little bit more palatable if it's not uh, tasty enough for you right off the bat. Throw a little ketchup on there, hey? Uh, and then the, the other one that I'm, I'm awful proud of, uh, maybe some of you tune into the Postcards from Gravely Beach channel, but I did one over there on Remembrance Day, and I've always done something special for Remembrance Day because I think it's important to remember both the soldiers and the peaceniks and the documenters and the the Cold War, the, the documenters of the Cold War, and the resistors, and the guerrilla, and the undergrounds, and the battlefield painters, and we have to spread our remembrance, um, and also think of the opportunity costs of war, meaning what we didn't get because 
of the contributions we lost from the fallen and just that pain and suffering, the civilian employees and the suicides and all these that just never get counted. But anyway, Remembrance Day, I uh, sat down with my buddy uh, Ian the goalie and uh, just after he'd been on CBC to read from his Grandpa Mark's World War I Battlefield Trench Diaries. And of course, I took him home and uh, mixed in my punditry and some audio samples of bagpipes and accordions I've recorded. Uh, so for me, it was just about the perfect podcast, having a, uh, a an interesting dude to talk to, digging out some history, sharing it with the people, and bagpipes and accordions. So I had just got a banjo in there, right? And then, uh, oh, I put on my list, I mailed packages to soldiers in Afghanistan and spread stories of peaceniks like Rachel Corey and Lee Matassi. Both of those need a podcast story of their own but the important thing to remember is that all humans need treats and stories it's what really binds us together everyone likes a little something special a little something that's made for them a little something that comes unexpected a little hmm, like did you get any uh, uh, gifts during this uh, holiday celebratory period maybe someone surprised you with something you didn't expect things like that you know Ooh, I went camping a few times including kayaking up the Sunshine Coast with a a disproportionate amount of beer for the days that we were gone. Fortunately, I soldiered on, and uh, that was all over my birthday weekend, too. as something I'd always wanted to do, and, there, and also going up to Owl Creek with the boys and, and a building their engineers, right? And so they built, like, this kind of chilkoozy with funneling all this lovely river water into, like, a pool so we could just sit there because it was the record hottest summer of all time here in B.C., uh, so I worked on uh, a project about uh, encouraging social coverage of all this Olympics hoopla that's coming on. But I've been talking about that enough all over the place that if you need to learn more about it, uh, you know, dig forth, right? Ooh, I hiked another stretch of the Baden-Powell Trail. The Baden-Powell Trail goes from uh, one end to the other of this North Shore area of Vancouver where I live, uh, from Deep Cove to Horseshoe Bay. And it kind of is it goes this, like the city and the development is pretty much caught up to the trail where it runs right along just sometimes a couple yards in some cases from the very top end of the houses but you're separated by trees now sometimes it does get up you know to wilderness-like conditions but it's nice to break it up and to do it in little chunks i've wanted to do the whole thing camping in people's backyards along the way as a little urban camping experiment but uh loaded up on canada day and went from the historic mushroom on Seymour down to Deep Cove and finished the day in Deep Cove, which is an idyllic little village uh, it, it, along uh, towards the east end of the Burrard Inlet. But the historic mushroom, turns out it wasn't a mushroom at all. And some other time I'll tell you what it was. Um, oh, ooh, I rocked it on Halloween, you know, pretty hard. I hadn't been out a lot in Halloween, this holiday I used to like, but this year I got a little inspired, dressed up as Hunter S. Thompson, including shaving out a, the cul-de-sac of baldness in my head and uh, going to great lengths to find some appropriate glasses and a media badge, an actual old-timey Hunter Thompson media badge, and partied at the police museum, which is in the old city morgue. So I was uh, having my hoots right there on the front porch of the cop shop and uh, managed to drag my uh, drag myself on the last bus heading north. Thank goodness for my sweetie. And... Uh, but long story short, man, by the end of that night, not only were we uh, investigating the, the seized pill collection, but we were uh, laying on the very stainless steel autopsy table where Errol Flynn's corpse once lay. Creepy. Oop, cold ramen at Kintaro after fireworks. There's this great ramen place, man, and they in the summertime they make this 
when I was in Japan, they called it ramen, and I don't know if other people call it that, but it's like cold ramen with this kind of sesame oil kind of thing on it. It's just unbelievable. All right, hold on. I'm going to have another hoot here, and then keep going, because there's a few more kind of quick hits here. You staying with me? That's what I like. My blood's too rich for subway cars And I'm too poor for a cab And I'm too old for the girl I love But she doesn't know me yet
saw Luke Doucette at Riches on Riches just before they tore it down. I didn't have a lot of lament because I didn't really have a lot of love for Riches on Riches, but it was one of the few rock and roll, live rock and roll clubs remaining, which puts Vancouver in a little bit of peril. But you were seeing a little bit of some other uh, venues develop. But anyway, Luke Doucette uh, had a song that really uh, was a beauty this year called Blood's Too Rich. He's probably been tuning on that for a year or two, but... Ah, it's worth hearing, and he's the real deal. He, he's an old backup guitar player for Sarah McLaughlin. That's how you might know him. Note to you. Ooh. Saw David Byrne uh, playing. Uh, he was a true interdisciplinary artist, multidisciplinary artist, and a thinker, and a cyclist, and an urban planner. And he keeps a great uh, diary of his touring that you should absolutely check out. But uh, along with uh, uh, Dan Funboy, went to see him live at, at uh, one of these fancy theaters downtown. And just had a holy musical revelation. And Jeff Berner, who you've heard on the show before, the accordion player at the Biltmore, he's just too cool for words, man. The guy's got the smoothness of the Rat Pack and the drunken banter of Tom Waits and reinventing the way that you can make kind of singer-songwriter music. Had dozens of acupuncture se- sessions by the master, uh, Dr. Ying, who really became my friend. Our after-session uh, lunches in the uh, Crystal Mall food court uh, with 75 different kinds of Asian deli- uh, little food kiosks to choose from will definitely be one of the highlights that I'll remember. Mm, I met number 12, Stan Smeal for the Canucks. You guys know I'm a bit of a hockey fan. This guy was a career Canuck, but before the days of millionaires and, and uh, all of, you know the big hype around it, and the guy was just a hard-working blue-collar guy, and he turned out to be as pleasant in real life as I could have possibly imagined. You know, I was on, you know, this year, for the first half of the year, I was on the side of the buses here in Vancouver with his Canucks promotion, too. So I did enjoy seeing myself roll by, be like, hey, go ahead and cruise around, check everyone out around town, man. Tip your hat to all the ladies. You keep on rolling there, Uncle Weed, with your Canucks sweater. That was kind of fun. I got one of the signs from the the uh, SkyTrain station, too, right? But I can't really put that up in my host without feeling like like an an egomaniac, man. Mm. All right, uh, the big Old Dead Gramps uh, project is next on the list. And this is uh, my, my dear old grandpa died a few years back, and he was a old world rambling storyteller. And I, uh, I I went down to see him just before he died, right? I made a bunch of recordings along the way, recorded a little bit of him. And then the day that they buried him, I didn't go down, um, but instead I went into the woods on the Varley Trail and recorded uh, a lot of memories and did a little, I don't know, man, like a little... Uh, wake a a, a eulogy or something anyway i don't have a lot of experience with these things but i made some stuff and i was just sitting this is a few years ago and i was like what should i do with it and then last year my mom shows up uh with a box of old cassette tapes he recorded in 1977 uh making basically little personal history podcasts man so along with my buddy mike we've been capturing digitizing and that project's probably going to take a year or two to to put together for it to find its form but uh, it's one I'm, I'm starting to get pretty excited about. But, you know, you guys know I love a big project. You've listened to Rainforest Dispatches, right? And then the other one I'm getting ready to do is the Frederick Varley Project. And Frederick Varley was a group of seven painter. I've talked about him before, but he lived right here in the area. And I've done a bunch of research since I mentioned him uh, where I've got all his addresses from the Vancouver archives and where he lived so I can make a little tour and... I've researched more of his paintings, learned more about his personal history, and kind of his uh, the whole his whole character and how he came to be to this area, and the legacy left in BC. He was really the start of an art scene here in Vancouver. And what I mean by scene is like um, 
people working together and, and uh, teachers and students and exhibits and things like that, right? It wasn't really here until he showed up, right? And inspired people like Emily Carr or whatnot, right? Okay, enough on that spiel. Um, stayed employed for a year, suppressing my average. Is this a success? Good question. Um, oh, I finished a painting that I did from uh, a trip to Europe in 04, 05, somewhere in there. And I went for like two, two and a half weeks, but I had this amazing artistic output there. It was just one of those things you just capture it all, you know. I'd had a really stressful few months, and I just was able to make this massive scrapbook, wrote a bunch of poetry, and I did a bunch of sketches and paintings. But all the paintings, like I have a tendency to start paintings but not finish them. In fact, my house is filled with them, right? But, uh, but then once I figure out how I'm going to finish the series, I knock them all out. But I finally finished one of the ones from the Europe series, framed it up, and gave it to my mom for, uh, for a gift, right? She uh, seemed to like it. Oh, there's a Frederick Varley note. Wandered Lynn Valley just like me. Uh, wrestled, uh, well, chased bears and raccoons out of my backyard. Sometimes under curious circumstances, which I won't go into. And, uh, oh, just, just the other week. Uh, you know, I, I always ride the sea bus, right? The little passenger ferry here in Vancouver. And I got invited to be on the inaugural voyage. It took some conniving because I did that whole transit podcast a while ago. I did this whole article. And it all worked out, and along with my buddy Miss 604, we hopped aboard and actually weaseled our way up to the bridge and then outside to a like a safety observation deck or something and enjoyed the inaugural crossing out there in the beautiful Vancouver morning cold on a little cool piece of Vancouver history. This is the first new one since 1977, right? I also did an article for that. That sort of sparked a, a new column I'm doing called Uncle Weed's Dossier on VancouverObserver.com. And I wrote an article about that Seabus uh, Cross and a little bit of the history of the Seabus, if, if you're like, uh, could find yourself into that kind of thing. And then uh, I, I, I did a bunch more of these lectures, like at Northern Voice and uh, on rock and roll, the rock and roll photography with Bev Davies and Chris Krug. And it was a real treat getting to know Bev and her work because she was a huge influence to me as a young punk rocker and, and maker of stuff and do-it-yourselfer and fanzine maker and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, also about the letters from Russia. And then I did uh, Word Camp Whistler, Island Tech, Purple Thistle Young Guns Program, the Blade Runners Program, What's Going On Salon. I, like, I did all these lectures, right? And it goes back to what I was saying about the media, but I spread my message out to more people besides you uh, chosen few who who are on board with this, right? Mm. So there's my list. And sort of what I'm thinking for for this year is I'm going to keep it a little simpler because last year I sort of overwhelmed myself. So here's kind of what I'm thinking. This year, like, I finally got my health going back a little bit. I've had a lot of health problems the last uh, few years with my belly. With my belly. And uh, I was kind of getting those a little bit under control, and I've got back up to a decent fighting weight after the... Uh, Busarias, Mexico clinic incident and the appendectomy incident and so on. So this year I got to fix my posture because uh, I'm noticing now that I'm doing more video work. Man, my posture looks like I've been sleeping in a box, right? I'm all come out all angles, and so I got to get back on the yoga tip. Need to get a little rolfing. Got to get some deep tissue, man. I got to get myself all sorted out, right? So goal one is improve the posture, get that kind of part of my body back on track, and the other part is. Um, 
it's I don't know if it's not really a reduced stress or be better organized, but streamline my processes to doing things. I spend a lot of energy moving stuff around and trying to find stuff and sorting through stuff and chasing down things and trying to remember too much stuff. So I got to get myself a little bit more streamlined so I can just slow it down. We'll put in that one. So I got to improve my posture and I got to kind of slow it down. This will probably mean more work comes out, but it's just a little bit about finding that elusive balance. Okay, so that's what I'm shooting for. And, you know, in those few projects I mentioned, hopefully something will become of the Frederick Varley one this year. That's probably the closest to the next big ones. But who knows, man, you know, I'm just going with the flow. So what have you got in mind? I'd be curious to find out, you know. I do draw a lot of inspiration from the kind notes and letters and, and little treats that I get in the mail, like that, the mixed CDs and photographs and postcards. really means a lot to me because, you know, while I'm out here on the side of the lake, I, I kind of imagine that you guys are all hanging out here right here with me. So with this in mind, I'm going to load up a bowl. Ooh, one other thing. This will be the year I... Uh, um, I, I really became an Earl Grey tea drinker. And this goes to Dopefin. When Dopefin was visiting, he did two things. Um, oh, he was always drinking Earl Grey tea, and uh, he got me a proper kettle, you know, because I'd always boil a pot of water like I'm so I can live in the dark ages, right? So I got a kettle, and now every morning in my mug, and even now, here, I'll prove it to you with a sip, I got the uh, rock and the Earl Grey. Mmm. I'm a multi-purpose beverage enjoyer, but... <laughs> so, as I mentioned, there y'all... We're, I'm sitting here on the side of Rice Lake. You guys are all here hanging out with me uh, as we're spilling our stories. And it, right out where I'm looking here... Just at the beginning of, of the holiday period. So what was it? Maybe the 23rd or something. I came out for a walk. And there's a thin ice in the... I saw something moving. So I'm walking down around the lake, and I'm thinking about all the stuff that I just told you. And I get kind of to a little break, and I walk down to the water, right down to the waterfront. I look out there, and I can just barely move, make out these shapes. But yet, they're humans, and they're moving around. It seems to be that they're ice fishing out in the middle of this lake. And the lake's not huge. It's maybe two and a half kilometers around, right? But it's all, like, surrounded by big trees, so it can be pretty shadowy and stuff. Today's just surrounded by joggers, but I'm hunkered in here pretty safe. So I get walking across. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to step on this ice. I'm going to take a chance, man, you know? And it's kind of became like a little metaphor for life in some ways, you know? Like, you don't want to step on thin ice, but if there's some people around, you got a little support, then yeah, okay, you can maybe take some more chances, but (laughs) probably shouldn't take my advice. So I just start walking. I step on this ice, and it feels firm, and I'm like, I'm just going to do it, man, you know? And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to overthink this. So I get out to the middle of the lake, and uh, three guys out there ice fishing. And they're all sort of huddled around and sort of spread out. They don't have all, like, their fancy, like, we're hunkered in here for the day gear. It looks like they just popped up for an hour or two to try and catch some fish. And in the dark, I make out that here on their icy lake, out in the middle of this frozen thing, it's got the light layer of snow over it. It's glistening. I see that they've hauled out a three, three, three-and-a-half-foot-tall double-bubbling bong out there to the ice with them. And I was like, well, what do you know, man? What do you know? And I'd just been across smoking my little pipe, right? Because I'm not hauling a bong with me. I don't know. I don't know. Walk. These guys have the massive bong. And, of course, the water is just chilled because it's been sitting right on top of ice. And uh, they say, uh, I say, hey, uh, hey, guys. 
something to that effect. Would you mind if I loaded your bong? And they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead, except it's clogged, man. We can't get unclogged. And I'm like, I have a jumbo paperclip in my pocket, just like MacGyver would. So we unclogged that uh, bong, and it's got the, you know, on the bowl of the bong, it's got the little bubbling chamber there, and then the bubbler down there in the main part of the bong. And it's a nice, giant piece of thick glass. So I clean that out, get it ready, and I just hit that, and I just figure this might just be the best bong hit that you can possibly have. This is the first time, I mean, of all the thousands and thousands of bowls I've smoked. Here's another one. And all the different countries and strange predicaments and strange devices and unusual circumstances and uh, curious compatriots, I've never even thought that I'd be in the middle of my frozen lake right in my neighborhood smoking from a double bubble bong with a couple of, uh, uh, well, mystery ice fishermen. So here's to the ice fishermen of Rice Lake. And here's to you in this new year. Mm, don't be afraid to step on the thin ice. Just make sure you got a little bit of a support group around you, perhaps. Uh, and I'll uh, attempt to do the same as I improve my posture, slow it down, and keep on rolling out these tasty little renegade documentaries to your ears, wherever you are, besides right next to me. A very important musing, which I neglected to mention as I wandered down the trail. Perhaps the most important thing that I did this year, though, besides providing for my family and keeping us warm and safe, is every time I could, I voted. Every time I needed to add my voice to a conversation about some public policy conundrum, something that affects all of us, or some of us, especially those without a voice, I stepped up and I made my voice heard. I shared my thoughts and opinions, even when they weren't... Mm, uh, the popular ones or the appropriate ones and I tried to make sure that I showed up and I didn't buy into the cynicism you know between the buffoonery of the United States and the, the comical incompetence of the Canadians and that that uh, gong show that was Copenhagen it's really easy to like get down and see all this rise of, 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 of right wing in a lot of formerly very tolerant countries and see the the, the uh, infighting amongst the leftist movements and seeing this div- divisive feeling in, in the world, you can't help but to feel a little cynical, but you can't buy into that cynicism. You still have to show up and vote. And even if you feel like you're not making a difference, that's maybe because you need to do a little bit more to really effectuate that positive change that's so important. So I think that's maybe the most important thing about this year. It's just showing up, man. <laughs> 